Procrastinating, a term most often used by the millennial generation, is a method of putting something off, delaying, or postponing something by taking part in the act of baking. to Procrastibaking, a place to talk about our baking obsessions and avoid doing everything else. Coming to you from Southern California, I'm Louisa. I'm from North Carolina. I'm Rachel. February can be called Chocolate Month, and there's a rolled doll quote that says to never do anything by halves. So we've tried to make this episode as chocolate-filled as possible. Very exciting. You know how much we both love chocolate. Um, I have a burning question. Is white chocolate really chocolate? What do you think, Rachel? Ooh. Um, <laughs> I think no. Yeah, I think no as well. I mean, I love white chocolate, but it's not chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I like white chocolate. I, I wouldn't just like eat like white chocolate chips like I would regular chocolate chips. But like if a dessert has it in there, I would eat it. And I really like caramelized white chocolate. Um, And I feel like recently I've seen a lot of articles. It's like white chocolate is vindicated. It really is chocolate type things. Because I think, doesn't it not contain any cocoa butter? Right. I think you're right. I think if we had to compare, it's like probably more chocolate than, yeah, I think it's probably more chocolatey than carob, but I don't, think it counts as chocolate. Huh. Yeah, now I'm on the white chocolate Wikipedia. I love that there's a Wikipedia for everything. It's very handy. Interesting. Does not contain cocoa solids. As a result, this cocoa butter is the only cocoa ingredient in white chocolate. So it does contain cocoa butter, but it doesn't contain any cocoa solids. Yes. Okay. So yeah, science agrees with us. Yay, science. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really enjoy when... When we lived in Hawaii, I remember as a kid, I loved these white chocolate-covered macadamia nuts. Oh, amazing. So it's like a nostalgic thing for me. But yeah, it's like if someone gives it to me, I will eat it. I don't go seeking it out. Yeah, that's how I feel too. Have you tried the caramelized white chocolate? I know you gave me some, but I didn't know if that meant you had tried it or not. No, I haven't tried it. You should try it. It's very good. Sounds yummy. Do you have a favorite type of chocolate? Do I have a favorite type of chocolate? So I don't know. It kind of just depends on my day. Is that weird? <laughs> so, <laughs> sometimes I really crave like a nice dark chocolate, but for the most part, I really just love like a nice semi-sweet anything. Um, yeah, I'm definitely with you there. It depends on the day, but my go-to is the semi-sweet. Yeah. And I love like, I love anything that has like caramel, like a chocolate bar that has caramel in it, or of course, as everybody should know. <laughs> in case you haven't caught on, Louisa really likes caramel. <laughs> I'm like the sponsor for caramel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not too big of a fan. How do you feel about like chocolate bars that have like fruit remnants? Like in season one, I talked about orange chocolate. I didn't really like that. Do you like that kind of chocolate? Um. Yes and no. I don't like the orange chocolate or the chocolate oranges that people like get at Christmas. Um, But when I was in Scotland, I had the Cadbury fruit and nut bar, which even Mm. though 
it looks the same as the fruit and nut bars that we get here. It's slightly different formula. Um, and I really liked those. Those were good. It was like dried fruit with um, nuts and chocolate. That's interesting. I would, I would try that. Um, yeah. And like, can you taste the difference between, I'm sure you can, but chocolate products made in America versus like when you were in Scotland, for example, or in Europe when you have chocolate there? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I remember because I didn't know the formula was different until I came home and tried it. And I was like, something, it tastes sweeter. Um, so it's like something is not right. Um, I mean, it's still good, but it wasn't quite the same. So I think sometimes you can taste the difference. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know. It's funny. Sometimes I wonder, because I remember when I was in Spain and I used to go like down the street to get like chocolate croissants every other day. <laughs> and I just feel like things just taste better in different places. But sometimes I wonder if our flavor memories are colored by mm. the experience. You know what I mean? Like That's interesting. It tasted better because you were like, extremely happy about being yes in Spain yeah somebody who is into like food psychology needs to reach out to me and explain this to me because we've had similar instances like Raul and I like for on our honeymoon for example we were we went to Hawaii and we went to this Thai restaurant and it was like the best Thai food we'd ever had right and so (laughs) we went back to Hawaii a few years later and went back to the same restaurant and thought it was just Okay, but it was like the same restaurant, the same owners, like nothing had changed. Oh, weird. Talking about it. Yeah, and he was like, do you think maybe it's because the memory is now, you know, yeah, the the flavor and the taste profile was like colored by the fact that we like were on our honeymoon. We were really happy. Um, Not to say we are. Maybe it's like one of those chasing the dragon things. Like once you had it and it was really good, the next time you have it, it's not going to taste as good because you're competing with not only the taste, but the memory of the taste. Mm, yeah, that's, I think you're onto something. I think that's a valid point because I've had this happen to me with other food experiences too, but that's a good, I like the way you phrase that because you're, the, that memory is competing with another one that has like special emotions tied to it or something maybe. So little random segue, but <laughs> I find it interesting how, food and memory comes together. Is it too late to go back to school and get my PhD? And it is psychology? not too late. <laughs> All right, Louisa, get ready. It's time for our first ever dessert in a movie segment. Movies Ooh. encourage our imagination and delight our senses. Some special movies also tickle our taste buds. When that happens, we can't help but try to recreate the desserts they featured. You may have guessed from the intro that today's movie selection is Matilda. Matilda. Talk um, about memories. <laughs> I know, right? Matilda is like one of those movies that as a child, I like really enjoyed. And then I watched it again as an adult few years ago and I was like this is terrifying (laughs) really I haven't seen it as an adult yeah it's um well it's just like traumatizing what these kids go through and you're just like how is this school functioning and this is like you know what I mean (laughs) you now have those critical thinking skills that you can apply (laughs) yeah looking back I'm like ooh, I would have called child protective services like 80 times right now um yeah and it's it is still it does still have like a cute fun quality to it. I really like the music in that movie. And yesterday I went on YouTube just to rewatch the cake scene because I wanted like a refresher 
Yes. That is what is still consistent is how good that cake looks. <laughs> um, it does look really good. Right? I was telling a friend of mine that we were going to be doing um, a dessert inspired from by that movie and she guessed the cake and she was like appalled. She was like, Oh my gosh, I just can't, I can't even with that cake. Cause I guess it was just too much, but I was watching it and I was like, you know what? This is like years and years after. And I would still, I would still have a slice of that cake. And I don't know. I really related. I don't know about you. Well, we're both avid readers, but as a kid, I was similar to Matilda in the sense that I would often skip over family movie nights to like read by myself in my room. And I remember, <laughs> I remember my mom would come, she thought it was really weird. She would come and, you know, knock on my door and she'd be like, it's family time. And I'd just be sitting with whatever chapter book uh-huh. I had. I don't know. I was, and, and I do love movies, but when I was a kid, I was just so happy to just spend hours upon hours in my room reading and escaping through reading. So I think I could kind of relate to her in that way. Yes, um, definitely loved reading. And when I first saw the movie, I was very intrigued with the actor's name because her name is the same as my sister. And that was the only the second time I'd ever seen anybody with that name. Oh, <laughs> so I remember right. thinking that was really cool because then I could just pretend that my sister was Matilda and, <laughs> and <laughs> play like that. And actually, my best friend Katie Knight growing up, she would come over and we would play Matilda and take turns playing Matilda or Mrs. Trunchbull and putting each other in the chokey. <laughs> <laughs> I love how that was like the, this is what we're doing today for play. <laughs> right? That's so, great. I don't know if we were terrified of that concept or fascinated with it or what, but yeah, we always <laughs> played choking. <laughs> That's funny. This is very telling, Rachel. Hmm. Learning some things about you. Yeah. And that year the, the movie came out, um, I don't know if you remember Miss Honey's Lisey doll, but like that was the number one item on my Christmas wish list that year was a Lisey doll like Miss Honey. Oh, you really wanted one. Yeah, let's talk about just how much I like loved Miss Honey. I just thought, yeah, and it, I think it created like a, it set a bar for what I thought my teachers would be like. Yes. Because <laughs> she was just like the sweetest human being ever. And I especially loved... I was really obsessed with that scene where she opens the chocolate box that her dad used to have. And you see like all the beautiful chocolates in there. They're like so delicate. And I remember as a kid, I like really wanted something like that. Like a beautiful box. Yeah, it almost seemed like magical because of how pretty it was. Yes. You know, it's fascinating. When I was rewatching some of the scenes yesterday, I was in a different room and Raul from like across the apartment would hear the scene and he was shouting out the quotes, the upcoming quotes. <laughs> I was like, how many times did you watch this movie? <laughs> it's like ingrained in his brain. Yeah. And, um, and it was like exact, like, and you know, he's like a big movie guy, but I was like, I find this so fascinating that this is, you know, I don't even know how old this movie is. 20 something years later. And you right. still he can like still exact. repeat it. Yeah. And there was this one scene where, the kids are saying how Miss Honey taught them to spell difficulty. Do you remember that part? And they have like a little rhyme, like Mrs. D, Mrs. I, Mrs. F, F. Yes, I've forgotten about that. And then after that, after they spell the word, Mrs. Trunch or Miss Trunchbull goes, why are all these women married? And he like shouts that line out before she says it. I just found it so amusing. He'll forget what he's supposed to buy at the store but he remembers exactly what <laughs> Trunchbull said. That's because there's too much room taken up by Matilda quotes. That's funny. 
Yeah. Miss um, Honey was very similar, actually, to my first and second grade teachers. Miss um, McGarity and Miss Hodges, they were both just super sweet women. And um, my memory is stronger for my second grade teacher, probably just because I was older. But like she would sit and play the ukulele for us and just very nice and down to earth. And she, you could tell she cared about her students. So she was definitely my Mrs. Honey. That's so sweet. I'm glad you had a real life Mrs. Honey. Every kid should have one, I think. For sure. Um, well, I guess we should maybe, I'm sure people can already guess what we're making, but Rachel, why don't you, I guess, go out and tell us what we are making inspired from the movie, Matilda. Yes. So I'm sure we all remember that classic cake scene from the movie. Um, I do want to point out, though, that while the cake was very large and very chocolatey cake, that Bruce didn't think it was as good as his mom's cake. So it's <laughs> not the best chocolate cake in the world, but I imagine that it still tastes pretty good. And to be honest, as a kid, that scene grossed me out. Um, just like the idea of being like forced to eat the cake. But now I definitely see the appeal of the dark chocolate cake. And I would definitely eat it now and have no problem being forced to eat that cake. Yeah. Um, so, Louisa, why don't you tell us about the chocolate cake you made? So, I decided to make, um, I went on the internet and tried to find recipes that said that they were recreating this cake from Matilda. And I found a three-layer chocolate cake recipe that looked really moist, which is what I wanted. And it had a chocolate cream cheese buttercream fro- frosting. And what I did was um, I added chocolate chunks to the cake to just make sure it was extra chocolatey. And I added a little bit of coffee because, I don't know if you guys remember, but in season one, I made a, a bunt cake. This was during our chopped challenge, so I had to have co- espresso powder and buttermilk, and I can't remember what else. <laughs> but I remember the cake that I chose to make then. With those two ingredients, I feel like it made it like especially moist and flavorful. So... I took a base recipe and then that included buttermilk as well. And then just made sure to add some coffee to it as well to kind of boost the flavors. And I really like the cake. I think it looks, I mean, it's so huge. I think like (laughs) when I saw your photos, I was like, yeah, that is the cake. (laughs) (laughs) It's ginormous. And like, I kind of like that the way you frost it is a little whimsical. Like it's not supposed to look pristine or perfect. It's supposed to look like, you know thick and messy so it was kind of fun to not have to worry too much about the decoration aspect and flavor wise I thought it was really good the only thing that I would change next time would be to use a different kind of cocoa powder and I know we'll talk about cocoa powder later in this episode but I wanted that really dark chocolate color and Mm -hmm. I didn't get that because I used Hershey chocolate which I guess now I know is a natural type of cocoa powder and not a Dutch type of cocoa powder, but I know we'll get more into that later. And so, they have a, they have a special dark too. Hershey's I special dark. That, I saw that. Yeah. So if I had to make it again, I would try that. Um, I just didn't really know too much about cocoa powder and like the bitterness aspect. Like I was worried that a darker cocoa powder would be too too bitter. Um, that I wouldn't like the taste. So, right. but I would love to experiment with it and see because you know you, for that cake you really want like that deep dark color. But yeah, but I was really pleased with what I got. I was very happy. All sweets. No lows, really. Awesome. I, I thought it was a beautiful cake, and I loved seeing the picture of it sliced. The layers looked perfect. Thank you. Frosting looks really good against the chocolate cake, too. I was very pleased. I think you nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. Do I get a Rachel Rhodes handshake? Ooh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I also Googled recipes for 
Matilda recreating cakes. And they all looked really good. Um, but I had, for some reason, this cake from Pinterest hanging out of my head. And it didn't claim to be a Matilda cake, but the cake looked really dark. And so I decided to make that one. Um, but I knew, too, that I wanted to be able to share with my coworkers. And they're still seeming, they'll share food, but they do better with, like, individual portions. So mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to make cupcakes. So I used the same recipe that I found, but just put it in cupcake molds instead. And it was a chocolate oil cake that had a little bit of sour cream in it. And I think that kind of played the role that your buttercream did probably. Yeah. um, To keep it moist because it was very moist. And um, for frosting, I made a whipped ganache. And the ganache was just melted chocolate with cream, um, warm cream poured over it. But I also added a little bit. I think I had a tablespoon of the Hershey's dark um, cocoa powder to see if I could get the color darker. Uh huh. I don't think it really had an effect. <laughs> so I'm not too worried about using that next time. But I made the ganache, let it chill, whipped it up. And then I, I did the same thing. Like I looked back at the cake and I was like, well, it's not really a fancy cake. It's just kind of like a school lunchroom cake. So mm-hmm. I just spooned the icing on top and just let it be however it fell on there in the spoonful. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. A school lunchroom cake. That's exactly the vibe I think they were going for with that cake. But I was happy with it. The cake was good. The frosting was good. I really have a thing now, I think, for the whipped ganache. Yeah, I like, the ganache sounds lovely. Yeah, I like that you can still, like, once you whip it, you can use it like a frosting. I think that's really cool. Yeah, and you know, I don't know if you could maybe answer this, because Raul was asking me to describe, like, how ganache is different from I guess from just like a regular chocolate topping. And it's like, I mean, it's like thicker. It's like a a coating. I don't know. I was trying to find the right ways to describe it. That's a good question. Um, Yeah, I would say thicker seems to be. So it's, hmm, it's like thinner than frosting, like if you don't whip it, but it's thicker than like syrup. Yeah, it's like, and now I'm wondering, is thicker even the right way to describe it? Because not really. It's like, (laughs) <laughs> it's like thicker in a different way. <laughs> right? I, also, I haven't really used ganache too much. I made it for when I made the Boston cream pie like years ago because that was what you put on top of that. But I haven't had too much experience with it. So it makes it a little hard to describe what it is. But it tastes good. It does taste good. I like it. Um, so I played around with what I should call them since it wasn't, I mean, it's not the Matilda cake because they're like little cupcakes. I was throwing around like Brustini, Brustini, Brusito, Mini Matilda. <laughs> I think it should be the Tiny Trunchbull <laughs> since it was her cake in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> tiny Trunchbulls. I love it. Perfect name. Okay, I think this was the perfect first dessert in a movie challenge because it was a very visual cake. Um, you knew what you wanted. You just had to find the way to make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? It'll be fun. I hope people chime in on social media and tell us if you, you know, when you watch this movie, either as a kid or as an adult, whether you were obsessed with that cake and thought it looked delicious or whether you were grossed out by it, because it sounds like it can be kind of polarizing depending on who you ask. So I would be really curious to hear what people think. But We had a lot of fun reminiscing about the movie and, yeah, getting to recreate something from it. So it was super fun. Okay, it is time to pack our bags and explore another country. Baking is a great way to explore the food of other countries without leaving our kitchens. This time, we're heading to warm Brazil. 
And you know that I love trivia, Rachel. <laughs> of course. Ooh. Okay, Rachel, are you ready? I am ready. Okay, so first question. Um, feijoada is often called Brazil's national dish. Can you guess what it might be? I have actually had this before. Um, the year that the Olympics was in Brazil, um, I worked at the governor's school and we were doing a cultural night and we decided to do Brazil since the Olympics and everything was going on. So we had our cafeteria um, prepare this for the group. And if I remember right, it's like a stew type dish. There were several different kinds of meat in there. Yeah. Um, and then we served it over rice. It was really good. Yeah, very good. Yes, it is a stew. Um, like you said, yeah, with different types of meat and beans as well, I think. And did you like it? Yeah, I loved it. I um, So I gave the recipe to the cafeteria to ask them to recreate it for us. And I ended up keeping the recipe and trying to make it again um, because it is really good. Yeah, yeah, it looks really delicious, really hearty. Um, Rachel gets one point. So good job, Rachel. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so second question. Brazil borders every country in South America except which two? Ooh, I did not realize that. We had to learn all of the countries in South America in Spanish class. Let's see. Is it Argentina? And Chile? So you got one of them correct. Chile is one of them, but Argentina does share a border with it. it does. So it's actually a different one. So Chile and something else. I don't know. <laughs> you get 0.5 because you got one of them right. Chile and Ecuador. Yeah. That was good though. You got Chile. I wouldn't have been able to guess that. Okay, let's see. What's our last question? Okay. Um, Brazil is the largest producer of what product? They, they produce a lot of things, but this one is um, breakfast-related, if that helps. Oh, um, I was going to guess beef until you said breakfast-related, so we will go with milk? Not milk. It's actually coffee. Coffee. Ah. Which I know you are not a fan of, but I need for survival. <laughs> so you're very thankful for brazil so thankful for brazil for many reasons i've always wanted to go to brazil maybe someday right this I, this I would like that baking challenge that we've been doing for season two is really like making that travel bug yes <laughs> i just want for to go over. sure lots of cool places to go yeah so rachel do you want to go ahead and tell us what you decided to make for your brazilian bake so this was a bit of a rematch for me because um, on the culture night I was talking about, I tried to make dessert and it failed. <laughs> and so I decided for my Brazilian bake, I was going to retry the Brigadeo and see if I could make it successfully this time. And um, I looked into the history of it and it's very interesting. In 1945, after World War II, there was a man running for president. And his rank in the military was a brigadier. And to raise money for the election process, his um, followers sold this kind of candy. Oh, interesting. And so it became, it became named after him. Um, it was also around the same time that Nestle, I don't know if it was the first time Nestle produced it or if it was when they started heavily marketing um, their sweetened condensed milk. So oh, this uses, yeah, um, this uses the sweetened condensed milk and chocolate. And I feel like it had one more thing in it, but it was like very simple. You make um, this mixture and um, let it chill 
And when it chills, it's supposed to get firm enough that you can like roll it into balls. And that was my failure a couple years ago. Was it never like firmed up? This time I could roll it into balls, but it didn't stay in balls. <laughs> it like flattened out into little discs. <laughs> so it tasted good. Um, and I rolled them in chocolate covered sprinkles. So then I ended up with instead of balls rolled in sprinkles, just like discs rolled in sprinkles. But it was very sweet, I guess, from the sweetened condensed milk. And honestly, I I don't think I'd make it again. But just because it was more sweet than chocolate, I felt like. Mm. You'd think maybe the sweet and condensed milk overpowered everything else. I think so. Yeah. And it was um, very sticky. Like the instructions told me to spray my hands with Pam before I rolled <laughs> the ball. And I had to. Like every three balls, I had to like wash my hands and spray them again because it was wow. so sticky. Oh, goodness. But you said they... Well, I guess besides the fact that they were very, very sweet, they, the flavor was good, even though they didn't hold the plant. Yeah, it was good. Like I gave some to my neighbor. If I didn't, if I thought it was terrible, I wouldn't have given it away. Unless you it's really. It's not did. something I would have made a second time. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I feel like um, the recipe sounds, or the, the bake sounds intriguing. I would maybe make them one day, but yeah. They were really easy, really quick, really easy. And you said it's only, what, like three ingredients? Yeah. Yeah, unless I'm missing something, it was sweetened condensed milk, cocoa powder, and chocolate sprinkles. Oh, yeah. oh and butter. There was a little bit of butter. Okay, that does sound super easy. So if people don't mind like that very sweet flavor, they probably would enjoy making them for like a party or... Yes, they'd be good party treats. Okay. Yeah, I think we're like kind of matching our... <laughs> like our successes are kind of aligning because I feel like we both had really good experiences with our Matilda bakes and with our Brazil bakes, it was like, ah, <laughs> things could have been maybe a little better. That's how I feel about mine. At least. Um, I decided to make something called Bolo de Rolo, which is a Brazilian guava cake roll. And I guess it's pretty similar to like a jelly roll or a Swiss okay. roll. And it has very thin cake layers almost like you're making crepes in a way like that's how thin you want them and you're just like making a bunch of cake layers that you're then slathering with guava like melted guava paste and then you're rolling them up and you're just rolling them into each other and the idea is that you would make like a one very big roll with about 18 layers in it oh my goodness <laughs> i know it was too much it's too big of a task for me to take on Especially now where, you know, I'm like eight months pregnant and I can't stand <laughs> as long as Aww. I want to. My feet get really swollen and tired if I stand too long. So by like cake number four, I would say, <laughs> um, I was like, I don't think that I'm going to make it to 18. And it was just, I had a lot of technical difficulties. I couldn't get the, the thinness of the cake layers right. Like they were too thick. Then I couldn't figure out how to roll them without cracking. And after I did one cake that had like a total of nine layers in it, I was like, I can't add any more to this roll. It's just going to fall apart. So I didn't, I never made it to 18 is what I'm trying to say, I guess. Which <laughs> Still nine. That's a lot of cakes. Yeah. So it was, it only ended up being three cakes, but the way you're rolling it, you get like the nine layers. If that makes sense. I got you. They rolled into each other. Um, so does it have a frosting or is it just the guava in between? It's just the guava in between and the topping is just um, granulated sugar. So you're also sprinkling that on each cake layer as you're like rolling it. Okay. 
It tasted really good. I mean, I love guava. So, Me too. And I love that the flavor of the cake was fine, but technically, it yeah, I think that the layers, I made them too thick. And the woman who wrote the recipe was like, get your nine jelly roll pans ready. And I was like, <laughs> nine? Who has nine jelly roll pans? I do not. I have two. So that made it hard, you know, because I had to keep reusing the pans. It took forever. But it tasted really good and it looked nice. Like once I cut off the parts that didn't look so good, <laughs> they looked nice sliced. You could see the layers and the guava filling. But I would probably, I would make it again. I think like it would be a good thing to have for, you know, if I had people over for a weekend and needed like a quick breakfast recipe available, I would do that. But I would, I would stick to just the, the three cakes rolled into each other. Not like the nine that she yeah, I was just going to ask you, would you lose anything by making it like a regular jelly roll? I don't think so. I mean, I think just as long as you have that guava, the guava is like what makes it. So as long as you're just using that guava paste, I think it could still taste fine. So maybe that's worth trying too. Yeah. Yeah. So was the, the cake was a vanilla cake? Um. Yes. I'm trying to think back. Was it just the vanilla cake? Yeah, I think so. The The cake was a pretty mild flavor. Because the guava is like the star. Right. So yeah, so it was it was fun to try something new. It was just a lot more difficult than I expected. You're, you're picking these um, labor-intensive recipes lately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rachel. And tell me why I decided, again, that now when I <laughs> have decreased energy and mobility. <laughs> yeah, even when I showed Raul the recipe, he was like, wow, you're, you're doing what? <laughs> And I showed him the picture. He was like, how long are you going to be in the kitchen for? Because you know you're not supposed to be standing for that long. And I just pulled up my recipe and it doesn't, it, there is no vanilla in this. I just realized it's just butter, sugar, egg, and egg whites, egg yolks and egg whites, and then flour. And that's it. It's a very simple cake batter. But yeah, so we enjoyed our, our quick warm trip to Brazil. Had mixed results for our bakes, but. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. We're, we seem to be channeling each other here. Yeah, we're on the same wavelength. But it was still a, a fun trip nonetheless. <laughs> yes, it was. It was very interesting. So it's time for a chocolate-flavored BIY segment. In procrastinating lingo, BIY stands for Bake It Yours. We love to customize and tweak recipes to make them what we really, really want. And in this segment, we propose to show you how to do just that with different types of cocoa powder. And yes, I'm going to continue making the Spice Girls reference until somebody tells me to stop. <laughs> really sprinkling that in here, Rachel. <laughs> huh? It's like the Where's Waldo, like Where's Rachel Spice Girl? <laughs> it's like the theme for season two is Where's the Spice Girl reference? <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, so we kind of alluded to the cocoa powder in our discussion about the Matilda cake, but I've seen two different types of cocoa powder in the stores, but haven't really thought too much about it until we started prepping for, for this segment and, you know, talking about prepping for the cake. And as it turns out, using the wrong cocoa powder can cause your bake to go awry. That's right. We hope today's tips will help you avoid a cocoa powder conundrum. Um, Lou mentioned there are two main types of cocoa powder, and they are Dutch processed cocoa and natural cocoa. Dutch processed cocoa can also be called alkalized or will be labeled as as processed with alkali. Mm, interesting. And Rachel, do you know why it's called Dutch processed? 
Um, was it invented in Holland? So the process was invented by a Dutch chemist in 1828 uh. as a way to make drinking chocolate more pleasant. And the cocoa beans are soaked in an alkali solution, which neutralizes their acidity and reduces the bitterness. And an example that everyone will be familiar with is Oreos. Yes. Okay. Before we talk about Oreos, I just want to say this is a man after my own heart. He tried to find a way to make drinking chocolate more enjoyable. <laughs> and I think that's like a wonderful career aspiration. Very, very good life goal. <laughs> Yeah, so the, I guess the cocoa powder that's used to make Oreos is alkalized, so that's why it turns black, and that's what gives Oreos their signature color, like the black and white style. And it's not commonly available in grocery stores, but you can order it online from places like King Arthur Flour and Olive Nation. I think you've used Olive Nation before, right, Rachel, to order? I did. I just ordered some um, for our upcoming Oreo Bake next episode. So hint, hint to any black cocoa powder producers out there looking to sponsor our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Out there listening, we're interested. Very cool. So yeah, I'll be excited to hear what you think about using it and your experience with it. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to try it. I I haven't used it yet. So then by default, natural cocoa powder is cocoa that hasn't been dutched. It is more bitter and gives a deep chocolatey flavor to baked goods. So you know what, this is interesting because I, earlier when I was talking about my cake, I mentioned that that was my fear in using dutched cocoa powder was that it would be more bitter, but it sounds like in actuality, it's the reverse, that using like the natural would mean it's... I think so. I think when they alkalize it, I think it takes away some of the bitterness. Yeah, that's interesting. I learned something today. So it doesn't matter what cocoa powder I use in my recipe. Yes, it appears that the rule of thumb is to use the type of cocoa called for, but that's not very helpful if you're trying to DIY. So science says that because Dutch processed cocoa is neutralized, it will not react with baking soda. So if your recipe uses baking soda, use natural cocoa. Dutch processed cocoa is usually paired with baking powder. If the recipe doesn't use a leavener, for example, ice cream, frosting, pudding, then it's your personal preference, just whichever flavor you prefer. In a pinch, you can substitute natural cocoa powder for Dutch process, but never the other way around. Using the wrong cocoa can um, lead to sunken cupcakes, flat cakes, and could leave a bitter soapy flavor. Interesting. Wow. Well, thank you for doing all this research, Rachel. I think this sorts out our cocoa powder conundrum. I thought it was very intriguing. I really enjoyed looking into this. Yeah. Last year, we were intrigued by a donut shop's March Madness bracket and decided to create one of our own for this year's March Madness. We're pitting all of our favorite podcast bakes against one another to determine Procrastination's favorite bake. You can grab a bracket at ProcrastinatingPodcast.com and join the fun. I am so excited for these matchups. We have some very exciting pairings in our um, first couple of games. Um, We have Pecan, Blueberry, Cream Cheese, Dayquah going against Chocolate Divinity. Both of those are winners in my book. I don't know which one I would choose. Or we have sticky toffee banana pudding going against peach blueberry cobbler. Mmm, tough choice. Later in March, we'll have our first 
ever bake peanut butter and jelly cupcakes going against New York cheesecake? That's a tough one. Submit your completed bracket to ProcrastaBaking at Yahoo.com by March 3rd for a chance to win a box of baked goods from the ProcrastaBaking team. That's us. Be sure- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Be sure to follow the competition on Facebook or Instagram and vote for your favorite bakes. I'm so excited for this. This is a bracket I can really get involved with. I'm not a big sports person, but this is a competition I think I have a shot at. Uh, Yeah, this is very exciting. Let's let our competitive natures inspire us. Rachel can be very competitive. Me, not so much, but I think this will be an exciting challenge. Yes. And with that, it's time to wrap up this batch of procrastinating. We hope we've provided some food for thought for your next procrastinating project. As always, the links and photos discussed in this episode can be found in our show notes at procrastinatingpodcast.com. Procrastinate with us on Facebook and Instagram while we wait for our next episode to rise. We release new episodes first and third Fridays on your favorite platform. Tune into the next batch of procrastinating for an all cookie episode. And don't forget, if you have any baking questions or conundrums you want to address, contact us on social media or send an email to procrastinating at yahoo.com. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rachel Rhodes. And I'm Louisa Gonzalez. Until next time, stay stay sweet. This has been Procrastinating. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a good review. You can also subscribe to us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. You can also subscribe to our RSS feed directly from our website at ProcrastinatingPodcast.com. Also, feel free to follow us and give us your feedback on social media, on Instagram at, at ProcrastinatingPodcast, and Facebook at Facebook.com slash ProcrastinatingPodcast. If you'd like to share your procrastinating stories and photos with us, you can send an email to procrastinating at Yahoo.com. Procrastinating is hosted and created by Rachel Rhodes and Luisa Gonzalez, produced and edited by Raul Ceballos, theme music by Alex Walker. Smith and show artwork by Rob Demers.